0: There is confusion about money. What do you, how, do, how do you think about money? How do you think about wealth? Is it a good thing? You say, well, gee, I'm not sure how to answer that. If I say it's a good thing, it may mean that my focus is on wealth. But if I say, no, it's not a good thing, it means I don't want any. And I do. How do I answer that? Well, Christians have answered that question typically Two different ways, okay? What do we think about money, especially what do we think about wealth? The first way that Christians have historically thought about this, or even currently think about this, is money or wealth in particular, which it means more money, okay? Wealth is a blessing to which Christians are entitled, okay? That's, that's option one. The the prosperity gospel puts it this way, that, that poverty is part of the curses which are under the law. And yes, Israel, an agricultural economy, if they did not walk faithfully in the covenant with their God, they were going to experience calamity in their herds and in their crops. It was going to affect their agricultural economy. It was going to hurt them financially. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, so that would also include, some would say, the curse that relates to poverty. In fact, didn't Jesus preach good news to the poor? And what would be more good news to the poor than that they're not going to be poor anymore? Right? See what I did there? You got that. (laughs) In fact, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you in greater measure, sometimes even 100 fold. Wow, sounds like that's a good place to stop and receive this morning's offering. One of those, one of the leading proponents of that prosperity gospel says this, and I quote, these are not my words. I quote, the success formulas of the Word of God. Produce results when used as directed. There you have it. The Bible is simply a financial plan full of strategies that if you follow them as an investment, it will pay off. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you heard that this morning? That is not the good news. But many, many Christians understand wealth on those terms. Fortunately, more, the majority of Christians through history have understood that wealth is neutral. Wealth can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, that, that we are responsible to be a good steward of whatever we are entrusted with. Are you with me so far? Are you agreeing with this? Are you buying into that? Okay, that, 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 that seems a little more the party line. All right, so teachers from John Wesley all the way to Dave Ramsey have boiled it down to this, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, so you can give as much as you can. That seems pretty straightforward, you still buying into that? But scripture seems to be a little more cautious about wealth. The Old Testament warns of self-sufficiency that that can easily come when we have enough, when we can take care of ourselves, so that the, the Old Testament sage prays this way, Lord, give me enough for today. Give me my daily bread, lest I have too much and forget you. Jesus said it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was surprising to his disciples because they understood under the, under the blessing and cursing motif of the day that, that those who were wealthy must be blessed of God. How could it be true that it was harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Could it be that the rich man is trusting in his self sufficiency, that which he has? Jesus warned us that no man can serve two masters. He spoke in terms of, when we were talking about money and God, serving money versus serving God, he calls money also, he calls wealth a potential master. No man can serve two masters. He will love the one and thus despise, look down on, care less about the other. There's a danger with wealth. Scripture does not say that wealth is a bad thing, but is cautious concerning wealth. So Jesus says, remember that story I was, I was referring the kids to out of Luke chapter 16? Not sure they got all the business management principles that are there. But in that story, when Jesus gives the money line, the punchline at the end of the at the end of the of the parable he makes a comment about wealth that some bibles don't translate as strongly and it's an interesting observation he says make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails and it will they may receive you into eternal dwelling places now the series that we've been in, in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, we have entitled, Free Indeed. Now that line does not come out of the book of Philippians, it comes actually out of the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You will be really free. And we have cast this title over this letter to Philippi because Paul is free indeed. We have him looking out through bars of confinement and in his mind's eye, looking out through those bars in Rome, in his confinement, he remembers Philippi. And so he's looking out there And that picture that's in your bulletin. He's looking out over the plain of Philippi. Beautiful sunflower fields actually there. It's a lovely fertile plain and and Paul's not really remembering, I just didn't have a picture of the actual Philippians in the church of that day, so I had to use this one instead. But Paul is seeing them and he's remembering this church and he's remembering their genuine worship. And he's he's reminding them in the midst of his circumstances and one after another, we're going to do kind of a a review through the whole book next Sunday. We're going to put all the pieces back together into the whole. But he's reminding them that he's not imprisoned by Rome This confinement is in Christ for the sake, even the advance of the gospel, that Paul is free indeed. And not only is he free from from Roman power, he is free from the power of wealth or prosperity over his circumstances. We just saw last week that Paul has learned what it is to be content in any circumstance, in any situation. He knows how to abound and he knows how to do without. That he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Paul is free indeed. He is not controlled by the emperor. He is not controlled by Jewish legalists that would harass him in one synagogue after another. He is not controlled by circumstances, situations, even his own hunger. He has been freed in Christ. Now, as as this letter winds up, Paul turns back to, he's saying goodbye, but Still hanging out there is the reality of a gift that the Philippian church, which has been a generous church in Paul's ministry, a gift which they gave to Paul. They sent it by way of the man Epaphroditus. We met him along the way in chapter 2. Epaphroditus, in delivering this gift, he was the FedEx. He, He filled up what was needed in getting the gift from Philippi all the way to Rome. And as he does that... Uh, he puts himself in danger. He puts his own health in grave risk to finish the job. He's recovered, and Paul is anxious to send him back so that he will be returned to his church in good health. And as he sends him back, he he's acknowledging the gift of support that they sent Paul. Because, you see, Paul's in confinement. He's able to be, as a Roman citizen, if he has the means... And many Roman citizens were very wealthy. If he has the means, he's able to set himself up in his own quarters, provide for his own meals, and a guard will just be stationed to watch him 24 hours a day. So there's a rotation of guards, but he's in his own quarters. He's not actually in a prison cell looking out the window at Philippi. It's a metaphor. But if he doesn't have the means for that, he would probably be in the dungeon instead eating whatever slop is left over from the guards that they pass on to him. So his circumstances could be different depending on what is provided. And so the Philippian church, in participating with him in this gift that they have sent, they are a generous church. And they understand, and Paul didn't write to them, hey, could you send something? It's getting kind of tight here. The budget is low. No, they realize where he was, They understood themselves the situation, and when a need arises, this church responds. Philippi is not a church that needs to be instructed about giving. They're not a church that needs to be encouraged to give. They are a generous church. You know, in my 13 years here at Brush Prairie, I have learned that this church is like that. When you know of a need, when you know of a need within the body, when you know of a need or an opportunity for honor... When you learn of a need in, in a ministry or with one of our missionaries, this church responds. I have seen it over and over and over and over again. This is a generous church. You're not a church that needs to be explained how should we give. And yet, it is good now and again to be reminded of the reasons we give. That's what, what, what Paul is doing here at the close of this letter. He's acknowledging the gift, and he's, he's telling them thank you. This is a missionary thank you letter. And yet, there's theology in this thank you, because Paul reveals something about what he's thinking about giving. In fact, one good friend of mine, he, he approaches this, this chapter with the question, what should pastors think about their church's giving? Because Paul re- re- reveals some of his thinking about giving in the passage, okay? So I'm going to make several points as we go. And these are not clear exhortations or commands that you should follow out of the passage because it's not that kind of passage. The, these, this is, is one of those where, well, he says thank you about this giving. We understand there's a theology of giving. We understand there's something in here that we can benefit from. The good news is, you're not going to need the screen. You're not going to need either screen, in fact. And we certainly don't need that clock up there that tells you how far I'm going over. <laughs> we can just leave that off completely, in fact. The booth can relax. You were about to see the last slide that I had prepared anyway. So, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the passage. And as we do, we're going we're to rehearse. We're going to uncover, out of Paul's thank you, Reasons we give. And the reason we're going to do that is a privilege of giving, which the Philippians have, a privilege of a generous church can over time become a habit. And over time, a habit can become an obligation. And it's not long that an obligation turns into a burden. And yet, here, Paul reminds them in his thank you of the reasons. That we give. And it's good for us to be reminded of that as well. So, as you turn to Philippians chapter 4, you'll find us on page 982 if you're using the church Bible in front of you. If you're using your own Bible, I have no idea what page you're on, but you'll find it. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start from verse 14. Even though Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I could even be in the dungeon, yet he says in verse 14, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Thank you for this time. Thank you for those times. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. So greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, you can boil it down, three reasons that we give. Three reasons that we give. We give for others' needs. We give for others. We need to give. And God gives through us. That's pretty easy to hold on to. We give for others, not for ourselves. We give for others. We need to give. It is intrinsic to our faith. It is walking with Christ for us to give for the needs of others. We need to give. And God gives through us. This is God working through us. Those three things we're going to see in various ways in this passage as we go. We'll kind of go verse by verse. Let's start at verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Giving is an appropriate way that we bear one another's burdens. We share in, and that's that koinonia word, we share in his tribulations, his hardship, his suffering. They give up something they could have kept for themselves in order to lighten Paul's load. They join some in the suffering, bearing part of it by giving away in ways that will help Paul. It is good, it is fitting, it's right, it's appropriate. Why is it appropriate? It's appropriate because if they are sharers with him in this sacrifice for others gospel, then it's very appropriate that they would do what? Sacrifice for others. That's the nature of the gospel, that we are sharers together in. So of course they would do this bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ because Jesus bore our burden for us. He took our burden, our guilt, our debt upon himself and he paid it in full. That begs the question, how could you or I be troubled in some way that would relieve someone else's trouble in some way? It's not a matter of what can I spare. Incarnational faith says how could I be less comfortable and more engaged, maybe less protected concerning my own needs in order to be more involved in the needs of others? Incarnational faith, because that's what Jesus did. He stepped down from heaven's glory, and he entered into our humility in this broken world in the midst of our suffering that he would suffer for us, giving it as an appropriate way of bearing one another's burdens. In verse 15, Giving is a legitimate way of partnering in ministry with others. We have a partnership with others. Verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. They have a part in what Paul does. He says we are workers together. Not only are we workers together, we are workers together, but we are workers together with God. But we are workers together. Again, there's that koinonia word. It's a workers with It's very close to the same word he used in the previous verse. Paul's idea of fellowship is not passive. It's not sitting down for a cup of tea. Merely, it is active involvement together. A shared participation. We are partners in ministry. They were partners with Paul in Corinth. When he was in Corinth those 18 months, he did not receive support from the Corinthians. He didn't want that to get in the way of the gospel. And so the Philippians provided for him during that time. They even sent gifts while he was in Thessalonica. Now, we don't support God's work. God does not need our support as if we were going to hold up God's work. No, but God gives us a partnership in his work. It's, it's kind of like he, well, he allows us to, to, to join in. In the Koinonia Cafe, the same word group, right? The, our Koinonia Cafe is a sharing together cafe. Some of you share baked goods. There and other people eat them up, but you do that in order to help foster an environment in which others can share what's going on in life in Christ together. Sharing in a, and a partnering in ministry together. We have a partnership in India, we have a partnership through WEC, all around the world. We have a partnership in ministry in Wales that is keeping missionaries uh, well well, um, um, strengthened and encouraged for the ministry God has set before him. We have partnership with ministries around the world because God is working through us. Not only that, but giving meets real needs. Verse 16, you sent me help for my needs. There was a real need here that we could assume they were the ones that God had to meet it. This was for them to do at God's direction. You sent help for my needs. Giving meets real needs, thus enabling and advancing gospel ministry. There's no indication that Paul sent out requests. But they understood once they realized again. He talks about you had no opportunity, but now you had opportunity again. When they learned where Paul was, they knew themselves as citizens within the Roman Empire or knowing, knowing how Rome worked, at least in a Roman colony, they understood in Rome what Paul's needs would be. And so they acted upon them without ever having a request. Some of, our, some of the missions that we support function that way. They operate under the principle that God, we will tell our needs to God and God alone and God will put it upon the church. God will put it upon the hearts of individuals. And so there's a need to be sensitive to God's leading and to respond to God's leading that we might be used in meeting needs through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Be intentional to seek out real needs and do something about it. You sent me help for my needs. We give for others' needs, first of all. Not for ourselves, we give for others. And we need to give. In that sense, it's kind of for us in that we need to give. Verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Giving is an exercise of spiritual fruitfulness. Related to this, giving is not sought to advance oneself or a person's own agenda. Giving is both sought and given for the benefit of others. The giver and those in need. Giving is sought for the benefit even of the giver. One of the things that helped me when we were raising support, preparing to go to Swaziland, later on South Africa, while we were in that support raising or whenever we, were, whenever we were representing our ministry to the church, what helped me to realize is that I was not asking them for support for me and our family. I was, as a supported missionary, I was simply a reason, an opportunity for these churches as God led them to give themselves to the Lord and something that he was doing. We were just an opportunity for that. In that sense, it wasn't so personal. It was instead worship. I didn't need that church's support, but churches, believers, need to give. There's a fruit that increases to their credit, Paul says. Think of it this way. The Bible is not full of success formulas that produce results when used as directed, that earlier quote. But think of this like an investment tip. Laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. It is using worldly wealth in order to invite people to enter into eternal dwelling places. As Kent Hughes says, the only money you will ever see again is the money that you give away. It's an investment tip. In fact, think of, well, it's the end of the year. It's, it's almost April, IRS season. People are thinking of tax returns. And, and probably in January, you received a giving statement from the church. You received a giving statement from other, other, other either ministries or missions that you give to. And you assemble those together, and that might be useful tax information for you. But don't think of it as merely tax information. Gather that together and look at that and say, this is what we were able to do in God's working around the world. We were able to participate. We did not expect that we could participate to that extent, and yet look what God was able to use us to do. And think of it like a kind of an eternal 401 statement. This is part of that retirement which is out of this world. This is treasure I have transferred. From earth to heaven. And it, it it to remind ourselves of that sets our heart just a little more there. It is good for us to give ourselves away. It is good for us that our heart is a little more heavenly minded than it was the week before. This is, this is something that I've transferred from here to there where it won't break down, it won't require more maintenance, and the IRS cannot break in and steal. Giving, verse 18, is a worshipful sacrifice which is pleasing to God. Look at verse 18. I have received the gift which you sent. Paul the preacher is now, is now transported into Paul the priest facilitating offerings of worship using Old Testament temple terms. It is a fragrant offering, or in some of your Bible versions in the Old Testament, that would be called a sweet savor offering. This was an offering that as it goes up in smoke on the altar, it's just meant to make God happy. It's not because I owed anything. It's not because I had a particular sin that now I must provide the substitute who died in my place for that anticipates Christ. No, this is a sweet savor offering freely given, a fragrance to God, because it's given just out of grateful appreciation and adoration to God. It's like the songs that we sang this morning. And it's like your appreciation for that little drumline, your appreciation that caused you to respond in gratefulness. That, that our giving is like that. A, a, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is like, our giving is like God, he, he doesn't need it. God is not balancing the books in heaven. I don't know how we're going to pull this off. Man, if the church doesn't give a little more here, <laughs> these numbers aren't going to add up. That is not God's perspective on this. God's perspective is, it's like a child's drawing that father takes and posts on the fridge. And he is so delighted. So delighted. It's like, it's like the, the, the child helping along with mom or dad. Wanting to be part of what mom or dad is doing. And so that loving father is delighted that we want to be somehow involved and connected into his stuff. That's what's going on here. It's a worshipful sacrifice. As Paul says of the, uh, of, of the Philippian church, when he holds them up as an example to Corinth, not when he's asking for himself, he doesn't do that, but when he, he is motivating the Corinthian church to be part of this multi-church offering that's being received for the poor Jewish Christians in Judea who have been outcast among their own culture because of their belief in Jesus, and the, the Gentile churches around the nations are gathering resources to send to Judea to help them out. And Paul urges the wealthy church of Corinth to be a part of that. And he holds up the poor in Macedonia as an example. He says, They gave themselves to God and then to us in this offering by the will of God. That's how he describes it. That their offering was giving themselves to God, it's worship. Giving is an expression of trust in God for my needs. I need to give because I need to remind myself that I trust God for my needs. I don't know about you, but I forget that. Day by day, I plan and scheme and work out how I'm going to make it and pull this off. And yet... I am wholly dependent on God in ways that I don't fully even realize. Yet what I do know is when I give away what provision I would use to shore up my situation, when I give that away, I put myself at some risk of some catastrophe that could happen that I will not be ready for, and I will just leave that with God. Let the um, worries of the day be enough I'll trust God. I need to be reminded that my God will supply all my needs. Verse 19. Confidence in God to take care of my needs frees me to give what I have for others. If I'm not sure God will come through, I better hold on to what I've got. Because if if I'm not sure God will come through, then it's going to be on me, and I better marshal all the resources I, I can because I don't know what's going to happen. But if I can trust my loving Father, I can relax. And leave that with him, the one who will provide um, seed to the sower and bread to the eater and will cause a harvest to provide what I need as well. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's got me. Sacrificial giving says, God, I trust you for me. God meeting my needs, it's not a prosperity promise. It's not, oh boy, this is going to pay off If you give to God, then God's going to give back more. What we need may be different from what we want, but I can trust God with that because he wants what's best for me even more than I do. Sometimes I want what is not best for me. I'm better off trusting myself to God than I am trusting myself to me. And he will... Supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. Did you catch that it's according to? is not out of. God providing for my needs out of his riches would be God writes me a check on his account in the bank of heaven. That's not what he did. Meeting my needs according to his riches is God has added my name and yours by faith in Christ. God has added our name onto the account it is according to his riches not out of was that true am i staying too much am i sounding a little kenneth copelandy here we are heirs of god and joint heirs with jesus christ that he has already seated us in the heavenlies not merely through christ but in christ that's my new identity i am a child of god i am an heir of glory i need not fear what tomorrow may bring i don't want to go into detail here but i can say this after 33 years of life together for julie and i as we have we we were both saved as as teens We entered our marriage as Christians wanting to walk with the Lord together, and we have practiced that through our life in giving. Giving in our local church, giving to particular ministries and missionaries that God brought across our path in one way or another that was personal to us. And we've done that all the way through, and we've thus done without some things all the way through. But I can say this, we have not lacked in fact, I marvel. I'm not sure how we did it. It must have been smart kids or they, they, they squirreled scholarships somehow. But we had got four kids through college, the bachelor's level, without any student loans. It was so good to be done and to be paid for and not have any of that kind of thing hanging over, which limits what we can do next. And, I, and, I, and I, we started that in the Air Force as enlisted, not officer, we, we continue that as missionaries, some of the highest paid professions on the planet, right? <laughs> so I, 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 I say that to say that God does supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. You can trust him. We, we give to others. We need to give, and God gives Through us. God uses us in this matter of giving. God uses us to show his glory. God uses us as channels of his grace to others for salvation. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory. That just seems like a closing line. But if you peek under the covers a little bit, there's more to it than that. God is glorified in his church. Paul's prayer is that God would be glorified even in his imprisonment even in the Philippian church in the midst of the troubles in the midst of some of the sacrifice that they have taken on for him that God would be glorified in that. To glorify God is to make his glories his perfections known. To display God likeness is to glorify God in life, okay? God's glories are what God is like. Somebody has described God's glory as God's intrinsic. Can't add to it or take it away from it. It's there. God's intrinsic, eternal, unchanging. What God was, God always will be. God's intrinsic, eternal perfections. That is God's glory, And he works his glory into our lives. We are made in the image of God to display his glory to his creation. Okay? Even in redemption, we show the glory of God. So even in owning and receiving and reveling in redemption, which doesn't stand on what I do, but on what Jesus did for me. That glorifies God. So the fact that I so trust God that I'm willing to give away something that I have that I could use for me to others in need instead, that glorifies God. Why? Because that looks something like Jesus. That's what he did for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Some people talk about... A free salvation seems kind of cheap. If you don't have to do anything other than just receive God's gift, that seems kind of cheap, but it wasn't, it wasn't cheap. It cost God everything. And we enter into some of that when we give in ways that not merely, ah, I've got a little extra this month, but sometimes when it hurts, sometimes when it costs us something, we experience something of sacrifice for the sake of others. That is, that, that shows God's heart in the gospel of giving Himself for us. That's how we let our light shine and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Not only that, but giving is God's grace working in us in ways that reach beyond us. Again, we've got to poke a little under the covers here to, to see this, but verses 21 to 23 greet every saint. All the saints, those in Rome, greet you, especially, in fact, those who are of Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Just as in 2 Corinthians 8, giving for others is a work of God's grace. God's grace is working. When Paul talks about the giving of the Macedonians, he said, I declare to you the grace of God is In the church in Macedonia. And then he goes on to talk about their giving of themselves into that offering. God's grace, God's working in them was their giving. And God's grace was working through them for the sake of others. Showing the love of Christians one for another. Even from Gentiles back to Jewish Christians in ways that nobody in those worlds expected. And here we are. Paul is in confinement in Rome. And even those of Caesar's household know why he's there. And they hear of these Romans, the colony there in Philippi, who send a gift to him to provide for his needs far away. Who is he to them? He's not even from Philippi. And he's not Roman. He's Jewish. And yet they give generously. To provide for his needs. I wonder if some of what Jesus said was true in that moment. If some of what Jesus says when he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he had washed their feet and he had served them and he said, Love one another as I have loved you, because by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. That maybe part of the testimony, even within Caesar's household, was see how they love one another. They'd seen the Roman Christians receiving Paul and caring for him. And now these Christians from Philippi have joined in that. And they're seeing this not merely as a philosophy, as another ideology. They're seeing this as a fellowship together in the sacrificial love of Christ and the gospel invades Caesar's own household. God uses their care of him as a testimony of Christianity among the household and even the Praetorian guard. We had a missions dinner last weekend. And in that mission dinner, we were reminded that we have a partnership. We have a bond with brothers and sisters in Christ church. And and what was emphasized at that dinner was not the giving. In fact, we were told, leave your wallets at home. We are going to know and we're going to pray for those whom we have sent. And 72 people entered into a particular pledge that they were going to partner with and be engaged with and be praying intelligently for the needs of those who have been sent by BP Church. Through our partnership with people around the world, we have have a part of a wonderful work of training pastors in India, training lay pastors that that is going to continue long after we maybe don't have the ability and the freedom to get those funds into India, into that ministry any longer. Just this last week, I talked to, not last week, last night, I talked to John Ragsdale. John Ragsdale works for Transworld Radio, one of our supported missionaries. He he um, is responsible for all the Muslim programming into Central Asia, North Africa, and the Middle East. Did you know that you were partly responsible for Muslim programming going to Central Asia, North Africa, and the Middle East? Did you know that you have a part in, along with Robin, Laura Evans, you have a part in sending hundreds of WEC missionaries all around the world and making sure they are provisioned for? Did you know that you have a part, right along with Wayne and Kim Platt, who are here this morning, in caring for those missionaries and ensuring that... Um, They are upheld and encouraged and strengthened in their service to the Lord through member care ministries. We could go around the missionary map, and this is a part that God has given us in his church together, that God is working through us. God gives to the nations through you. God doesn't need it, but you need to give. And yet God will use us to give to others in ways that demonstrate the gospel as Jesus gave himself for us. So as we turn now to that time in our worship service, we have, we have worshiped in song, we have worshiped in God's word, we will worship in giving and receiving. First let me say this, if you're our guest this morning, this offering is intended for those who are members and regular attenders of Brush Prairie. I did not plan a giving message this morning, it came to us out of Philippians chapter 4. But if you happen to visit in this morning, please receive this worship service this morning. And the testimony of Christ as our church's gift to you. But as we approach this worship of giving, first let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift to us. We thank you, Father, that your gift to us is a new life in Christ, the forgiveness of guilt, the the exchange of our shame for honor. The exchange of our humility for your exaltation in Jesus. We have exchanged in, exchanged in Jesus and faith in him accusations against us for vindication in his rightness. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you, Father, you also give to us the opportunity to participate in your redemption. Not only all the way around the world but right here in this community and even through this body. Father, we pray then that this offering that is received, as your children take that which you've provided for them and give some of it instead for the sake of others, Father, that you would bless them in that, that you would grow fruit in their lives, trusting glorifying you fruit as they allow you to work not only in them and through them into the lives of others. Lord, take this gift and may it be indeed a sweet fragrance offering to you. May it be an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice that brings you joy. Even as the hearts of praise, the sacrifice of praise that is lifted as well, even as that brings you joy. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.